Bethlehem. This is where it all happened. And I've been there. When I was there, I was a tourist, like many arriving by coach. The underground bus station with hundreds rising to the service, surface along with diesel fumes and heat of both body and engine. Joining more heat as you embark on the streets. Tradesmen and women line up to sell souvenirs, swallowing the fumes that fill their lungs daily. If only we knew the best deals were to be had there. But excitement and pride led us to the streets, the crowded streets, with other tourists. They like foreigners now, as long as they had big wallets. But if you look towards the fields where Ruth picked her sheaths, you will see an ugly wall with guns, searchlights and barbed wire. Not the pleasant place that she would recognise. And just like in her day, very suspicious of foreigners. And that means most of the people, most of the local population. Not what she would have seen some 3,000 years ago. As for the shepherd's fields in the east and in the west, a 45-minute walk to the centre where Jesus was born. Passing unfinished or decaying buildings, streets full of dirt and despair, homes full of dirt and despair, cars left abandoned soaking up the dust like its inhabitants in their lungs. Not what the shepherds would have seen some 2,000 years ago. You can still visit where Jesus was born. You must go through a low door, so you're forced to bow and show respect. But you are told by a guide that it was not for reverence, but rather a means to stop the Ottomans or others riding their horses or cattle through the door. But somewhere around here, it all happened. Not such a little town lying still. Buildings everywhere that crowd out the farms and fields that Ruth and Boaz would have known and owed. Yet the message through the Bible is that this little town is important. God has acted out his play in this theatre, he painted his plan of history on the canvas of this place. Let's walk back through the story of Ruth to get a feel what was really going on and see how God was working out his great plan in the characters, sights, smells and events 3,000 years ago. The Book of Ruth, it's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds.
Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, This family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow. And she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family. And he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries 
Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. As we heard, the book of Ruth lies between the warring, the murdering, the scheming stories of the book of Judges and the often frightening, turbulent days which are recorded in the two books of Samuel. Throughout the book of Judges, we see the Israelites follow the appointed judge, only to fall away upon the judge's death and follow other gods until another godly appointed person brought them back to God. You see, they did what was right in their eyes, not God's. Chapter after chapter we read, the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And chapter after chapter, we read of a loving God who always forgives, always accepts, and a people who he loves, once again deciding that they knew better and turn away from him. 
It is nothing new. For even in Genesis, Adam and Eve thought that they knew better. The same followed in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Today, nothing has changed. God pours out his love to us through his Son in his life and death and resurrection. He calls us to follow him and his teaching, and some of us do. And some of us find that journey too difficult and turn to their old ways and their little gods of money, lust, and power. While God waits patiently, as a loving father does for their child to return home. But when you have no one to revere, no one to fear, no holy one to worship, like the Israelites, we go on our own journey which takes us away from God. In many ways, Naomi ran away from God and became bitter. But it was Ruth who followed her God, the God of the Israelites. Ruth, who was faithful. And because of her faithfulness, God blessed her. And as we heard last week, after 10 barren years of marriage to Marlon, she bore a son with Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. I don't know if you are like me, but when reading the genealogies in the Bible, I tend to skim read them. However, in Ruth, verse, Ruth chapter 4, verse 17, we get a shorter version. It says they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Obed was the grandfather of David, the shepherd boy who fought a lion and a bear before taking on Samson. David, the writer of many of the Psalms. David, who became a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. No doubt shaped early by days and nights with God while herding sheep. No doubt understanding from his youth the reality of God as a shepherd of his own life. David's rootedness in God continued throughout all the seasons of his life. When he became king and won victories at war. When he established Jerusalem as the political and spiritual hub of the nation. And as he planned for the construction of the temple... David held God central. Day and night, David lived with God, filled and surrounded by God's love and care. We too live such a God-filled existence, but we may not see it the way David did. His time in solitude turned him to know and see God everywhere. It moved David so powerfully that he could not help but to sing and to dance and write music. David understood God's heart. And in David's living with God, his heart took on the very shape of God's. So ultimately, what is on God's heart? What is precious and important to him? 
throughout scripture, God is wanting people to follow him, to worship him and to trust him. He raised people, godly people, who took on the task to lead and bring people back to him. And as we saw, Boaz, Boaz redeemed Ruth. The son became the grandparent of David. And from David came the line or genealogy of Jesus. Let me remind you of what the role of a redeemer was. Redeemer in the Hebrew Bible is, and the rabbinical tradition is a person who, as the nearest relative of another, is charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging his wrongs. In the New Testament, the redemption word is referred to both deliverance from sin and to freedom from captivity. Jesus is referred to as a redeemer. Last week, we heard the song, There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own son. You see, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. In Matthew chapter 2, we read about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And throughout the Gospels and New Testament, we hear of what he did and achieved in bringing the people back to God. Which, as we know, ultimately led to the cross and resurrection. And Christ's coming to redeem humankind once and for all. Let's look at a few verses in the New Testament. Luke 1, 68 says, Praise be to the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Paul adds in quite a few comments. Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Galatians 3, 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Galatians 4, 5. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so we, we return to Bethlehem. It's a lot quieter now. The buses have stopped churning diesel and the tourists have remained in their own land, being pilgrims in their own country. The guards have less to look at as they glance at the field and lands around them. People watching has its limitations, especially in lockdown. Animals still roam the land like the sheep did all those years ago. 
Israel's national animal, the cat, crosses the roads where the shepherds first walked to reach the site where the star hung over. There is an unearthly silence as there was 2,000 years ago. And yet in homes, many gather and worship. Many gather and Zoom with others who have met with their Redeemer, Jesus. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hope and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth. And praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Life will have its ups and downs, but know this, God's care and provision is always there. While the shepherds looked from the fields to Bethlehem, and Boaz looked forward to love perhaps for the first time, we need to stand back and look for only then will we see God's mighty purposes and preservation in our lives. Take a moment's silence to see what God has done for you and give thanks. Amen. 